Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I made it through a week of the offseason, everybody. I know. Fantasy offseason. It's a small accomplishment, but an accomplishment nonetheless. First of many, though. Got 20-some-odd weeks of fantasy offseason coming up. Although... I think maybe you could say the fantasy season begins like about a month-ish, month and a half maybe, before the real basketball season begins. Because draft season shaves off a chunk of of off-seasonry. But we made it through one. Or we did, once this show is over, then we made it through one. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. Sometimes fantasy NBA today, sometimes just NBA today, sometimes handicapping NBA today, sometimes stories about life BA today. Today, we're talking play-in tournament. Uh, We are talking playoffs, which begin this weekend as well. And trying to get everything kind of resettled now. I know we don't have the last two matchups. We'll get those from the play-in tournament tonight. But that's what we're going to be talking about on today's show. And I'd like to dive in here in the next couple of seconds. But first, hello. I like to do that. I like to say hello. It's the Uncle Leo in me. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Bespris if you're watching live on YouTube. We're trying to do this all off-season long. Please do take a moment to like and subscribe. If you're listening to the podcast via the traditional channels, please drop a five-star review and check out our friends over at sportsethos.com. Specifically, today it's actually a really nice tie-in. The Wager Pass, 75% off the first month. We are so confident here at Sports Ethos that you will love the Wager Pass in your first month and the Discord access that you get into the premium wagering Discord. You'll be so thrilled at how much you learn and how much money you win, that you'll just let it ride at normal price after that. We're pretty sure of it, actually. That's at sportsethos.com. Click on the premium tab. Choose Get Premium. Click Wager Pass and use the coupon code ABSURD. A-B-S-U-R-D. Absurd. Because the damn coupon is freaking absurd. 75% off. It's like $3.5 for a whole month of plays from our entire wagering team and Aaron Bruschi, who bets the NBA playoffs and won 60 units last year. So dive in, enjoy, and let's talk a little bit about what everybody's going to be watching over the next couple of days. Tonight, the Bulls are in Miami to take on the Heat. The Bulls, the winner of the 9-10 game with Toronto. The Heat, the losers of the 7-8 game with the Atlanta Hawks. Bulls are a five and a half point underdog. Opened at five, total Opened at 210, is down about a point to 209. And the totals are starting to adjust a little bit here. We've seen largely very low-scoring games through the play-in tournament so far, with the exception of the Thunder-New Orleans contest. And then we saw the Bulls do what they've been doing lately, which is play really good defense and pray that one of their main guys gets really hot. Because offensively, they're a little bit troubled at times. They run Alex Caruso for long stretches. Not very good on offense. Very much a point-of-attack defensive player who made a lot of really big plays for them in that last game. But they don't win that one unless Zach Levine goes supernova style. 
And you're probably looking at a somewhat similar issue in this ball game, where the Heat, who have also been kind of punch drunk all season long, not able to hit three pointers consistently, didn't really defend Atlanta consistently in their last ball game, and really just couldn't score. And now they've got to try to beat the Bulls by five and a half. We'll see. It'll come down to whether or not Miami can kind of wake themselves up. They just they've been in a funk all season long. And then you saw it against Atlanta. Bulls pose a very different challenge. The Heat, I think, will be welcome to hang out in a slow-tempo game, and so then it's just going to come down to which team can hit a couple of shots. As always, I start with the underdog, and I work from there. I don't think there's enough reason for me to play the Bulls in this ballgame. I think I liked them more in the last one against Toronto, a team that Toronto had, you know, they had good numbers from the starting unit, but no depth at all. The Heat have a little bit more depth, but a starting unit that can't shoot and they really have almost no size besides Bam Adebayo, at least not that they trust. So you're going to see a lot of weird stuff going on in this game. I do think the total is relatively accurate now. This one may have come down so far that is there any is there a tiny bit of value moving back towards the over? Probably not because we've seen these play-in games. Teams go slow. They're tight. Turnovers are high. Second play-in game here, maybe the turnovers are a little bit less. Well, the Bulls won their first one, so they're... I don't think they have, what, left to prove. I think they'd like to make a run here, but the pressure is definitely on Miami. That came in with the seven seed at risk of now losing both games and falling out. With the pressure on Miami, what? how do we think they respond? Do we think someone gets hot? Maybe. Bulls play good defense, so that's not really what you're expecting in this one. So I lean to the underdog as per usual. Underdog covered all four games in the first wave, so they're probably due to miss it at some point here. Uh, and the total, in my mind, has come down far enough where there isn't a whole lot left going on. I think this one's a coin flip. So when it's a coin flip and you're catching five and a half, you sort of lean that direction. But, you know, whatever. Um, Thunder Wolves... Sounds like Rudy Gobert is considering playing. He's dealing with back spasms in addition to the fact that he got suspended for their last contest after the kerfuffle with Kyle Anderson. Um, Cat is questionable. I would assume he's playing as well. Total is 228 and hasn't really budged much. I think it came down a point and then jumped back up again. Thunder's last ball game with the Pelicans finished at 241. But New Orleans is certainly uh, open to that style of play. I think if you're the Wolves now, you want to try to grind this thing to a halt. Make it more of a defensive game because that's not where the Thunder excel. They are good in the open court. They love getting Shea moving. Josh Giddy had a brilliant game their last time out. Lou Dort also had a really good ball game. I, I just, I don't know. It felt like they needed all of their guys to play well to beat the Pelicans. Now, are the Pelicans better or worse than the Wolves? It's hard to say. But the Wolves are laying five and a half. I don't think the Thunder are getting rolled by any account. So, I, once again, I would lean to the underdog. And if you like the underdog in a game like this one, you probably also lean a little bit towards the over because the Thunder play a slightly quicker tempo game. And I think if you're the Wolves, you might see Minnesota kind of enjoy running a little bit. That game with the Lakers was so slow and ugly that the Wolves might be coming out of that going, you know, we got to get loose a little. But again, Gobert's back in there. He actually shades games towards the under with his presence. 
Thunder are going to spread them out. No question about it. They'll throw... They, I mean, they don't even really have a center on that OKC side. But the Wolves are probably going to dare Jay Lynn Williams to hit some three-pointers. Or Dario Sharich or something like that. I mean, I don't... They don't have a whole lot of size. So that's another issue. I mean, you saw Jonas Valanciunas kind of picking on the Thunder on the interior. and Not that... Not that Gobert could do something like that. I would assume Cat is going to try to use his size advantage. Gobert should have a massive size advantage. The rebounding should certainly tip in the direction of the Wolves in this one. But again, like we're all just sort of grading it out on paper right now. At the moment, uh, there is a sort of a newfound belief that the Thunder can play this thing into a pretty good ball game. Uh, I think the line is relatively accurate. I do think the Wolves are the team that moves on. I think from a matchup standpoint, this is a bit of a tougher one for the Thunder. Pelicans. You know who the Pelicans really missed in that last ball game was Larry Nance Jr. Because Herb was out there doing his thing and he slowed down Shea for a while. But they just had no... the ability to to rotate, to switch. It just wasn't there. So Valanciunas played 30 minutes. He was a minus six. Uh... They could consider going small, like the Jackson Hayes minutes. They actually won those because they could move a little bit more. And then so you look at this Minnesota game, you're like, all right, are they going to do that same thing to Rudy Gobert? Well, the difference between Gobert and Valanciunas is like night and day. They're both big guys who don't move all that fast. But Gobert has arms that are 18 feet long and can actually defend a little bit, more than a little bit, but also can't really punish you on the offensive side the same way. So you pick your poison a tiny bit on the Minnesota side. You go small. I don't, you know, cat at the center spot. Is that really what they want to do is spread out the thunder? It feels like you're kind of playing into their hands at that point. But we don't know. We don't know what Chris Finch is going to do. It seems like they should just run their offense through cat. And if he's not in foul trouble, you saw what he was able to do against the Lakers, just obliterating smaller defenders. And that's all the thunder can throw at him. They'll probably throw Lou Dort at him, but then what does that mean? Shea is on Anthony Edwards? Wolves have some options. The question is whether or not they use them. I think the Wolves do win this ballgame. Uh, I think that they control the tempo a little bit better. A little bit of discipline on that Minnesota side keeps this ballgame under the total. Um, I don't know about covering, though. That five and a half is a pretty good-sized number. You'll see a bunch of fouling at the end. Slightly into the under, and no real feel on the side for that one tonight. Let's pivot now into the games that we actually know over the weekend, and then the series prices as well. We'll start with uh, the games, because that's what everybody on YouTube can see on your screen right now. On Saturday, uh, it's going to be five games on Saturday, and then two on Sunday, or is that five and three? I think it's five and three. We obviously don't have a couple of matchups yet. But the first one, the one that gets everything going, is Sixers hosting the Nets. Philly is an 8.5-point favorite with a total of 214.5, which basically suggests that oddsmakers don't think the Nets are going to score at all. And maybe they're right. Maybe it is going to be an impressively low-scoring game. But I also don't think that the Sixers are just going to come out and, and just dunk all over Brooklyn. Philly plays a slow ball game. When they play high-scoring ones, it's because they're extremely efficient in those games. But they don't play fast. 
Everybody thinks back to like the Mike D'Antoni years in Houston. You know, eight seconds or less, the offense. That's not Harden anymore. He doesn't run. He gets everybody going, settles into a pick and roll, probably gets it to Embiid. You're already down to like 12 on the shot clock at that point. Nets are going to try to push the pace a little bit. I don't know that they're going to have a ton of success with it. I think Philly's going to be relatively disciplined because they're older, more experienced, whatever you want to say there. I mean, there's plenty of playoff experience on the Brooklyn side as well, but they are a sort of a uh, newer team, even just playing together a little bit newer. Uh, so the total, I think this is one where you kind of want to just see each team's fastball before you bet into it. We're going to look at pace a lot in these playoff series as the series roll through, but in the first one, you don't really know. Sixers by 8.5 is a huge number, though. That's a colossal number. I think you have to look at the underdog there. Philly will have not played for basically a week. Brooklyn, same story. I just I can't imagine these teams coming into this ballgame and then just firing, 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 and Philly just like knocking everything down. There's going to be some rust. There's going to be a little bit of jitters. It's a game that's first thing in the morning on Saturday for a lot of us. 1 p.m. Eastern is basically first thing in the morning for the NBA players. It's just, it has disjointed and confused and weird written all over it. So I would look, again, slightly to the under, not as much with the total having come down two points. And then the side, I think you got to look at the underdog. And I would argue something similar in Hawks-Celtics. Boston has been really good all season long. But the Hawks won their play-in game. They're feeling spry right now. I don't know that from a matchup standpoint, you could say anything is like a good look. But catching nine is uh, a lot. That's a huge number. Nine points in a playoff game? I know the Celtics are way better, but sheesh, nine? Total of 231. This one does smell like a game that kind of opens up a little bit, and you'll see that in early playoff series where the teams kind of, and I mentioned this in the last one, I used this expression, throwing their fastball. You'll see the Hawks and the Celtics each just kind of throw a fastball right down the middle in game one, or at least for the first half, and then you'll start to see the adjustments creep in a little bit. But I do expect this one to be a little bit higher scoring. I don't think they want to start grinding right out of the shoot in game one. Neither one of these teams has that kind of identity the way that the Sixers kind of do, and then the Knicks and the Cavs, if you get to that next ball game, they both kind of have a little bit of a grinded-out mentality. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. 
Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I just, I don't know how you, like, I, look, I'm not saying that I'm betting the Hawks because I still don't trust that team as far as I can throw it. And if Trey Young has a terrible game, then they could get blown out by 30 points. But coming off the play-in win, so less rest, meaning a little bit more in tune. Celtics are a well-oiled machine, so you don't have to worry about a whole lot there. But again, like, I just don't expect the team to roll over. Especially when Boston hasn't played in a while. Slightly into the over, believe it or not. I don't think that I want anything to do with it. <laughs> but uh, I think that one probably starts fast and slows down late. So your best option in Hawks Celtics is probably to look at the Hawks maybe as a full gamer and then look at an in-game under if they get off to a quick start like I think they will. Or even you could look at like a first quarter. Eh, I don't know about that first quarter over because you may see some rust. But I think the pace is going to be pretty good in the first half. Knicks catching five and a half on the road in Cleveland. Total of 215 and a half. And uh, everybody, everybody hates the Cavaliers. It's a really weird phenomenon, by the way. Um, Cleveland's a pretty damn good team, people. And they just never got any credit this year. I think because everybody saw the Cavs last year fade hard as the season went on and just like fell all over themselves. That didn't happen this season. Cleveland went 51-31. and 31, And they have one of the better playoff performers on that team now after trading for Donovan Mitchell. That was a great get for Cleveland for this type of moment. I expect this series to be unbelievably hard fought. I think both teams want to run half-court offense. Like So I would look at an under in almost every single ballgame in this until that number way over-adjusts. But also, I think the Cavs, despite laying five and a half points, which feels like a lot, but home court in the playoffs is typically worth between three and four points, maybe call it three and a half and just split the difference, or even four, is basically saying the Cavs are only a one and a one and a half-ish point neutral site, I guess a one and a half to two range, neutral site favorite over the Knicks. And we don't know the status of Julius Randle yet. It's a possibility he plays in this ballgame. But, I mean, without Julius Randle, the Cavs are better than that. I know the Knicks have been playing well down the stretch. I mean, the last little bit, they they not as well without Randall. But, like, you saw Emmanuel quickly show a lot of growth this year. That was a big deal for them. They're a, they're a solid ball club, and they're good on the road because they play a lot of defense. But the Cavs are also really good. And Cleveland rested guys regularly. They were without Jared Allen for long stretches this year. I think Allen... How many games did he miss? He missed like 14 games. Missed a pretty good chunk in the middle there. Played hurt for stretches. Mobley was healthy. We'll give him that. Donovan Mitchell was great this year. He was number nine by totals. But, you know, he missed 14 games also. Darius Garland missed his handful of games. Not as many. 13. <laughs> That's not to say that the Cavs were dinged up. I, I just feel like they kind of rotated through their usual fare. Uh, we saw Karis LeVert start to play better as the season wore on. I think the Cavaliers are being disrespected a little bit. And so you could play this a couple of different ways. Uh, way number one would be to look at the Cavs laying five and a half in this one. 
The money line, by the way, is 218, minus 218 on uh, the Cavaliers. And money just keeps coming in on the Knicks in this one. The series price is minus 220. So pretty much matching up, by the way, with game one. So the series and the game basically agree that the Cavs should win game one. But there's something about the series price that I still, I think I kind of like more because it gives you these different avenues. But money just keeps coming in on the Knicks over and over and over again because they're the Knicks. Then they don't go to the playoffs all that often. And New York, just like Los Angeles, there's always a premium on those teams on the betting side because people just sort of wake up in New York and want to put money on their teams. And that's fine. We try to use that to our advantage. I just think people don't realize how good the Cavaliers were this year. They were really good. And Donovan Mitchell was kind of throwing it into cruise control for a long stretch, basically the entire second half of the year. He was in cruise control. Cavs can play some serious defense. They're not going to get pushed around on that end. And offensively, in my mind, they are vastly superior to the Knicks, mostly because of Donovan Mitchell. Now, if he's awful in this game, then all of that goes up in flames. I just don't think he's going to be awful. I know the Knicks are going to make life hard on him. But we've seen what he can do in pressure spots, and he's good. I think the Cavs win this game. I think they win this series, and I think I'd probably rather bet the series than the game. And I'll flip it over to the series prices after we go through these last three uh, individual games coming up. Uh, Warriors and Kings, the battle for Northern California. This should be a fun one. Uh, Kings open as a one-point favorite. It's now settled at a pick'em, which, I mean, again, it takes almost no money at all to move a game from one to pick and back to one again, so don't read too much into the way the, the spread's been working. I think it bounced into the Warriors' favor briefly before coming back to a pick. Doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't take that much money to move through zero in the NBA. Uh, more money is coming in on the Warriors for whatever that's worth. The total is at 238.5. It's a really big number. I, I don't think either team is going to be really bent on slowing this thing down. If it does slow down... I like there's this inclination for folks. Oh, well, if it slows down, it benefits the Warriors because the Kings don't play great on defense. And yeah, that's true. Uh, but no one's really been able to stop De'Aaron Fox in the half court this year either. That's why he's been the best fourth quarter player in the NBA. It's not because they run more in the fourth quarter. It's because the game slows down and the Kings are like, all right, Fox, it's your turn now. I don't think the Warriors are going to want to slow this thing down from the outset either because they get a lot of what they want in the open court. Steph can get his stuff in the half court. That's basically maybe Jordan Poole, although what, you know, low efficiency Jordan Poole stuff in the half court. We know Andrew Wiggins is back for this game. I don't expect him to be particularly good after missing a month and a half or whatever it was. Like, there's going to be a crap ton of rust on him. Hopefully everything is okay in the Wiggins household. I know he missed a bunch of time dealing with an, uh, an illness to, I believe it was his father. So everybody's going to be rooting for him to be, to have a, Good ball game or look decent, but he's going to be rusty. And neither of these teams has played in a week, so there's all that stuff creeping in. The overarching thing here, you can look at all the nuts and bolts of Kings and Warriors, but at the end of the day, the Kings are being wildly disrespected. Wildly disrespected in this series, and even, frankly, in this game. The Kings come in with an enormous chip on their shoulder because they've seen 
the entire world saying that they're just going to get wiped out in the playoffs and the Warriors are the champs and blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, but like, old champs do tend to have hangover years. It happens. There is no guarantee. That's not to say that the Warriors won't turn it on, but there is no guarantee that the Warriors just magically turn a switch and are rolling. There's no guarantee of that. The Warriors were awful on the road this year. They're on the road here, and everybody thinks that's just going to magically fix itself in the playoffs. And maybe it does, but I don't think there's a guarantee of that. Everyone's been operating... Okay, this is what's been bugging me about the Warriors stuff. Everybody's been operating with the assumption that something for the Warriors will happen. Not that it might. It's like everybody is at 95% sure that the Warriors just magically get it going on the road slash in the playoffs. And I think it's maybe more of like 60-40. 60% chance they play better with, with the stakes higher. But still a 40% chance that they're just sort of gassed this year. They're just not the same team. They lost some depth. Things just aren't clicking the same. Jordan Poole isn't shooting his butt off like he did last year. I mean, remember how, how unbelievably efficient Jordan Poole was? He shot 43% this year. And you can try to tell me that, like, it's because they won the title and everything it just never really locked in. But he was at 45% last season. That's a pretty big drop-off for somebody who's largely taking, like, contested, difficult shots. There's a drop-off. I don't know if it comes back to 45. His free throw percent was down by 5 also. Other stuff was relatively similar, but just drop-offs. I think there's a looseness the Kings get to play with here because no one expects them to win this series. Um, I don't know how we get there is the question because do we see the Warriors just locked in for Game 1? Do we see the Kings... First game jitter, stuff like that. I just personally think that the Kings, and we'll flip over to the series prices in a minute, they're like kind of substantial underdogs in the series, despite having home court advantage and outwinning the Warriors this year by four. They were a better team than the Warriors this season from start to finish. We'll flip over to season or uh, series prices in a second. Sunday games, we don't have the last Saturday game. We don't have the middle Sunday game yet. Lakers-Grizzlies is the early one on Sunday. That's a noon start Pacific time. Uh, Grizzlies, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Total down from 230 to 228 and a half. I think the Lakers want to play a, let's say, a more methodical running game. It's, it's I believe, a misconception right now to suggest that the Grizzlies just want to run, 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 run the whole game long. I don't think that's actually true. I think both of these teams are more in the pick-your-spots type of scenario where neither one wants to take any possessions for granted and both are better defensively than I think the betting public is fully aware Although that number opening at 230, like, it was just kind of begging for under money. So maybe it's the opposite. I come back to the Hawks-Celtics number. And this Lakers-Grizzlies game has a couple of things to consider. Thing number one is, do we see the teams kind of get out a little bit? Because it's game one. Because the stakes are not as high 
as a game six or a game seven where everybody's going to be tired, everyone's going to know exactly what the other team is going to do. This is the feel-out game. Does that mean that the two teams do kind of exchange buckets for the first three quarters here of this ball game? I think there's a decent chance of that. And for that reason, I don't think I'd, I'd be touching the total in this one. As far as the side goes, uh, the Grizzlies opening as a two-point favorite was a big uh, disrespect on the Memphis side. The same way we, well, maybe not quite to the same extent that we've seen the Kings get disrespected so far. Uh, the Grizzlies and the Cavaliers are like seat number two in the disrespect column. Because everybody's like, oh, the Grizzlies, they've got to deal with a healthy Lakers squad. Yeah, I mean, that Lakers squad is healthy with air quotes. LeBron doesn't have his timing back. We've seen that. I mean, he was he looked better in the play-in game, but winding down the regular season, he didn't look good at all. I thought. Maybe I'm being maybe I'm being a bit of a jerk. He looked pretty good in the play-in game against Minnesota, but winding out the regular season, LeBron looked tired. Or rusty or slow or whatever it is. We know he doesn't like to sprint for all four quarters. He lost a lot of uh spots on defense leaving guys like Torian Prince open he's just like I love LeBron he's still incredible what he's doing at my age basically is I'm older than LeBron but only by a little bit is is nothing short of unbelievable but it is worth noting that if you look at that Lakers Minnesota game Lakers were a minus 14 with LeBron on the floor and a plus nine for Anthony Davis Lakers defense won them that ball game, and that's AD. Offensively, they did just enough. LeBron hit some key shots late, but, I mean, they couldn't get the ball inbounded. Like, there was a lot of ugly in that one. I just, there's this assumption that the Lakers are going to find a way to win because of the star power. And I think that was a fair assumption against Minnesota because Minnesota's not as good as Memphis. And is missing Jaden McDaniels and Rudy Gobert for that ball game. Grizzlies are missing Steven Adams, which is... And Brandon Clark. But I think the Steven Adams one is a big deal because his ability to set screens is incredible and crash the glass. Having someone who is that good on the offensive bl- his glass was so big for the early season matchups between these two teams because the Lakers are going to throw everybody at John Morant, meaning there are going to be opportunities for offensive rebounds. And that was, I mean, that's perfect for Adams. He'll just knock an entire team away. JJJ can do a little bit of that, not quite to that same extent. LeBron is probably going to be dealing with Jaron Jackson Jr. for stretches of this ballgame. I don't know that that's a great matchup, frankly, on either side. Uh, Will JJJ drag him out to the perimeter? I don't know. Will the Grizzlies go to JJJ at center often? I think they probably will to try to pull Anthony Davis away from the the glass, and we know that Jaron can hit the three-pointer. I don't think you see that much Xavier Tillman, maybe the first quarter, third quarter kind of thing. But I think the Grizzlies will try to space it out a little bit. Their better chance to win is to open things up. Because if you get Anthony Davis away from the rim, the rest of the Lakers, LeBron in particular, he's not keeping up. D'Lo's not keeping up. Jared Vanderbilt can. So where they stick him is anybody's guess. Maybe on jaw, although I think Moran is too fast for Vanderbilt. He's better against sort of the, the rangy wing types. The Grizzlies, that's not their area of attack. I don't know that Vanderbilt is going to have that big of a role in this series. I don't know how the Lakers are going to deal with Ja other than throwing a lot of bodies at him. 
And so it feels to me like the Grizzlies are just going to do enough. I mean, uh, two points was the opening number. That's crazy low. Against the Lakers team that offensively still isn't that great. And I think a lot of that was chemistry because they've been winning these games down the stretch, but they've largely done it because the personnel is just collectively better. You've seen a growth from Rui Hachimura. He's been seeing more action, and I think he'll play a pretty good role in this series. But, like, the chemistry still isn't there for the Lakers. I would look at the under. I don't know that I would bet it. I just... I. I would look at it, but there is this chance that the Grizzlies open this thing up and the Lakers just kind of get into a running game with them. Uh, And then the Grizzlies on the side in that first game, I know it's three and a half and not two anymore. At two, that was almost like an auto bet on Memphis. And the final game that we have a number four on Sunday, the Suns are a seven-point home favorite over the Clippers. I like the Clippers on that one. Um, I don't know that they win it, um, but the Suns are getting... I think, frankly, a lot of respect, and they should, but that's still not a team that looks comfortable together. And it's going to come out in a playoff series where they're going to have to figure out a way to communicate better. The Clippers are going to try to open this thing up as much as they can. Not open it up in speed, open it up in space. And Kawhi Leonard going one-on-one can keep you in a ballgame. I think the Clippers catching seven points is a very reasonable number. I think both teams actually scored a pretty good clip in this one. Um, but, I mean, you saw it from Phoenix. Even in the games they played their guys down the stretch, they were winning them. Kevin Durant, I don't think he's been involved in a loss in like three months or something stupid like that. Uh, but they hadn't really figured out how to guard people yet in this iteration. And I know they're not deep at all, but that's like kind of a big who cares in the postseason Clippers do have some depth. I think they'll throw guys at the Suns. I think they'll try to use an energy advantage here in just terms of, like, how many guys they're willing to play. Uh, We saw Paul George did practice, and we don't have a report on him yet. I think there's actually uh, a possibility we see him somewhat early in this series, but maybe not for the opener. But I like the Sixers, or the uh, Sixers, the Clippers getting seven points in that first game just while the Suns kind of try to settle in a little bit. Clippers had the advantage as a team that has already kind of settled, aside from whatever they get out of Russ. Let's talk series prices for just a moment. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we've kind of hinted at all of that stuff while going through the individual games. Um, But here are some series prices that... I don't know if I can actually show this on the screen. I'm probably not supposed to, so let's close that down. Um, we may get a YouTube warning for accidentally flashing that up on the, the screen there. Uh, apologies to everyone. I hope we don't get one. The uh, the series prices, which I think I can now pull up myself as long as it doesn't show up on the screen. I didn't realize that if I scrolled down, it still showed the site name. Uh, I'm almost definitely getting in trouble. I probably got to edit that out. Oh, no. Um, Philly minus 1,000 over Brooklyn. Uh, the Nets are a plus 625. Philly's going to win that series, so I wouldn't dive into it. Celtics also a very large favorite, so you can probably ignore that one as well. Knicks and Cavs. Cavs at minus 220 is a play that I do like. Um, I think it opened at Cavs like minus 190, so no, that's not right. This is pretty much, this is pretty close to where it opened. Um, I like the Cavaliers to win that series over New York. I think they're better than people realize. Kings at plus 225 is interesting, my only hesitation here is if we think the Warriors win game one in Sacramento, you could even get a better number on the Kings. 
But I think I would take a look at plus 225. I think there's some value there with the Kings. Uh, Lakers-Grizzlies minus 140 for Memphis is a decent price for that one. Um, but again, if you think the Grizzlies are going to win this first game, you probably bet the game instead of the series. It's sort of your choice there. If you think the Lakers win game one and the Grizzlies win the series, then you could lean another direction. But if you think Memphis wins this first game at home, which I think they probably do, uh, you probably just bet the game and then take a look at the series price after that where, okay, do the Lakers bounce back? Would you get them at like minus 150 to 180 range, something in that neck of the woods? Then maybe we'd consider it. And then the Clippers at plus 375. There's a little bit of value on that, although I do think the, the Suns ultimately do win this series at minus 525, but that's too rich for my blood. I just think the Suns have a chance to lose game one, and then maybe you could get them at like minus three something, which is still pretty rich, but at least it's playable. And that's what you got going on over the weekend. And that will circle us around to Monday, where we will do a little bit of a recap of what happened over the weekend. We'll have to start doing some of these. We'll do like a half and half type shows. Right now, we're able to do kind of flip-flop between fantasy and reality basketball programs because of the way that schedule went this week. But next week, uh, we'll have games every day. So we'll have to do kind of quick NBA recaps and look-aheads on the betting side and the, and the playoff side. And then we'll also squeeze in, I say that, Sort of tongue-in-cheek, because that will actually most likely be the main part of the story. We'll do some more lessons learned. We'll do some old man squad review. we got lots of stuff going on here as we float into off-season week number two. Thanks again for watching or listening, everybody. Wherever you are, please do drop some sort of positive feedback. If you can do so, it'll help us grow. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Five-star review on the pod side. Check out the Wager Pass for 75% off the first month with coupon code ABSURD over at sportsethos.com. And with that, I am Dan Bespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Have a lovely weekend, everybody. I bid you all adieu for now.